If you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, and we'll be looking at verses 36 through 50. Luke 7, 36 through 50. I'm going to have you hold your places there for just a few minutes. In fact, we'll actually get into the text this morning as we move through the sermon. I want to mention a little bit about tonight. Tonight, I have asked uh, our missionary, Craig Schaefer, if he would take us through the gospel, the chronological gospel presentation that we have heard so much about over the years with New Tribes Mission. Of course, New Tribes is now called Ethnos 360. And I just thought it would be good for him before he goes back to the field in October uh, to take a night to, to show us what that's like. We have spent so many times over the years praying for our missionaries. I think of the Bucers and the Schaefers and others with new tribes and and we'll see on the prayer list, or somebody will say, oh, they're going through the gospel presentation. They're going through the gospel presentation. Let's be praying. And we should. And I thought, well, maybe it'd be really good if we kind of see what it looks like. And so Craig's going to do that tonight. He's going to have most of the hour. And obviously, it's going to be an abbreviated version. It takes months and months for them to go through this with a, a, the particular people group or tribe. And then after the service tonight, we have a homemade ice cream fellowship. So uh, kind of a neat night planned for us this evening, and I just wanted to mention that. Well, the passage that we're looking at this morning is part of our overall series on what it is to be a disciple, and especially this focus that I've been on for the last few weeks and will continue to be on for a couple of more weeks on the emotions of a disciple. If we are to be a disciple of Jesus and to really walk with him and fellowship with him and obey him and glorify him and honor him, then we need to engage the fullness of our God-created, God-given emotions. We simply need to make sure that our emotions are Christ-exalting and Holy Spirit-filled. Last Sunday night... I talked about the dangers of our emotions being sinful and, and not spirit-controlled. But when they are, oh, they are such a beautiful part of who we are and need to be part of our walk with Christ and our worship of him. As I mentioned, I'm going to go through the passage here uh, as we move through the message. So I'm not going to read it all to begin with because it's a longer passage. But I want to give us some background information to lay a foundation before we actually get into this particular text. Our first point this morning is emotion-filled worship. Luke 7, 36 through 50, is considered to be one of the greatest worship scenes in the entire Bible. And I think after we go through this together, or if you've read it on your own before or been part of a Bible study, uh, that has considered this, I think you would agree with that. It is a very emotional, important scene in Scripture. Now, if you have been part of this church for 
a fairly long period of time. You may remember that back in 2002, and hard to believe that was 15 years ago, I did a series of messages on biblical worship. And rather than trying to define worship in a technical or theological way, I just picked out eight of the greatest worship scenes in the Bible. So week after week, we looked at eight of the greatest worship scenes in all of the Bible. Rather than saying, what is worship, we looked at it. This is what it looks like. Let's see worship in action. And when I did that, this is one of the messages, or this is one of the texts that I used at that time, because it is so powerful. And I would really encourage you this morning to enter in to this particular scene. Just a quick overview. Jesus has been invited to the house of a Pharisee. We learn as we move along that his name is Simon. It appears that Simon and some other Pharisees, because at the end of the text it says there are others there, that they have invited Jesus in order to interrogate him, in order to ask him questions. But while they're meeting, while they're dining together, this woman just bursts in. And they know who this woman is. She has a reputation in that community. She is a sinful woman. In fact, Jesus says, as we will see, that her sins were many. She's a very sinful woman, and she goes into this home uninvited. She goes to the feet of Jesus, and she just begins to cry uncontrollably, and her tears fall on Jesus' feet. And she bends down, and she wipes his feet with her hair, and she anoints his feet with expensive perfume and begins to kiss them over and over again. So she is washing his feet with her hair and she is pouring perfume and she is kissing him, just adoring him, honoring him, in essence praising him because she is so in love with him. Somewhere along the line, it's not identified in the text, she meets Jesus and she comes to this house to let him know how grateful she is, how moved she is, and, and just how thankful she is for what he has done for her. Well, some background information here. As I mentioned, this is a woman who had lived a sinful life. Again, Jesus will say later in the text that her sins were many. We don't know what her sins were. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some have speculated that she may have been a prostitute, and she may have been, but we don't know that for sure because this passage doesn't tell us. But whatever her sins were, many people knew about them. Simon knows who she is. When she comes in, Simon the Pharisee knows exactly who she is. And I think there are some things we can assume about this woman. This woman, or the woman in this passage, knew firsthand what it means to go deep into the pit of sin. I think we can assume that she had experienced the emptiness, the loneliness, and the abuse that comes from living a sinful lifestyle probably seeking pleasure and fulfillment, she instead spiraled downward into the graveyard of heartache and pain. 
My guess is that she came to a point in her life where she was worn out and she was tired, but had no idea where to turn. Then she met Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the salvation of God, and she experienced forgiveness. She experienced the mercy of God cleansing her soul. And she could say from the depths of her being with the old hymn that we sing, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Finally, for the first time in her life, she was loved. Finally, her life had meaning to it. And finally, her soul had found rest. And now she comes into the home where Jesus is dining. And our second point is the powerful scene. The woman enters the house of a Pharisee. In verse 36, in the first part of verse 37 of Luke 7, we read, one of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's home. So she comes, and when it says, and behold, it means she just comes upon the scene where Jesus was. Now, it was not unusual for uninvited guests to come into a home, especially where dinner was being served like this. And I think it is very likely here that there were other Pharisees, whether they were invited or uninvited, came when they heard that Jesus was there, this controversial figure, Jesus of Nazareth, that they came to also be part of this. So that was not unusual, but it was very unusual, extremely unusual for a sinful woman whose lifestyle was public knowledge to come into the home of a strict Pharisee. Folks, it was unheard of. It just didn't happen. She came into this home knowing that she was going to be mocked and that she was going to be scorned. She came into this home knowing that she was not welcome there. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment, very expensive perfume. In fact, in the New Living Translation, it says that she brought a jar of very expensive perfume. And in the last part of verse 37 and in verse 38, we read that she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, in order for us to understand this particular scene, we just need a little bit of historical and cultural background here. Jesus, it says in verse 36, was reclining at the table with the other guests. Now, this would be very different than our homes today. The table was very low to the ground. In fact, just a table surface on the ground. And they would have couches around the table, but these are not 
like couches that we're used to. They would be more like cushions. So there would be a table, there would be cushions around the table, and you would recline at the table. You would put your elbow down, leave one hand free so that you could eat and drink, and that's how you would converse, that's how you would recline, that's how you would dine at the table. So Jesus was reclining most likely on his elbow with his feet away from the table. Okay, if you can picture that. He's reclining at the table with his feet away from the table. And so she comes in and she is at his feet. So she's in back of him at his feet. And it says that she stood at his feet just crying. She comes in and she is so overwhelmed that Jesus is there, that she just begins to cry. And she came to anoint him. To anoint him meant to honor him, to show him great respect, the, the greatest respect that she could possibly show him. But as she's crying, she can't control her tears. And as her tears fell on the feet of Jesus, she stoops down and she wipes them with her hair. Now, Another little piece of cultural information, a Jewish woman was never to let her hair down in public. She always had it pinned up. So she comes into the home of a strict Pharisee, which was totally taboo. Then she lets her hair down in public, which was totally taboo. And so it appears that she has lost all concern all concerned for what others might think. She is so thankful, so grateful to Jesus for what he has done for her life that she, in essence, forgets all the other surroundings and comes in and weeps and washes his feet, not just washes them, but with her tears, with her hair anoints his feet with this expensive perfume, and as we will learn later in the passage, kisses them over and over and over again. I just want you to let this scene sink deep into your soul. She goes into a home where she's not welcome. She is just in love with Jesus. And she just cries she is crying her eyes out and wiping his feet with her hair, anointing them with this very expensive perfume and then kissing them over and over again. You know, there was a term we used to use years ago. You don't hear it as much today. But when she got saved, she got saved. Okay? She's saved. Okay? Every evidence of her life is that she is in love with Jesus. Folks, don't miss this. When she came to that home, she came to worship. When she came to that home, she came to worship. And this woman is set in stark contrast to Simon the Pharisee. Notice verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. As I mentioned, Simon knew all about this woman, that she was a very sinful woman, and he's like, how can he even let this sinful woman touch him? You see, Simon saw this woman for 
who she used to be and not for who she is now. And we need to be careful with that, even in our own lives. When people get saved, when they come to know Christ as Savior, their old life is in the past. He could only see the past. He couldn't see who she is now. And so Jesus tells Simon a story about two debtors who owed money to a certain money lender. And I want to just read for you verses 40 through 50. This is the heart of the passage as Jesus tells this story. But I want to share something again because it's so important to this passage, some more historical cultural information and it will help you to understand this. In a first century home, if you were to enter a home, there are three things likely the host of the home, the owner of the home, would do if you came for a meal. Now, it wasn't mandatory, but if you were a courteous host, if you were truly hospitable, there were three things that you would do. The first thing you would do is you would wash your guests' feet. They had just been walking on a dusty road in sandals, and it was very customary that you would wash their feet. Now, if you were a wealthier person, it would be one of the servants who would wash the person, the guest's feet. The second thing that you would do is you would kiss them. You would give them a kiss on the cheek. It's very much like our handshake today. It would be a symbol of your greeting. It would be how you welcome them. The third thing that you would do is you would anoint their head with oil. It was usually inexpensive olive oil, but you would anoint their head with oil. Again, at that time in history, you walked long distances out in the sun. Often your... Um, scalp might be sunburned or chafed and so they would put some oil on it but not only that it was simply a a memento a token of hospitality and honor to your guest who has entered your home now with that in mind let me read verses 40 through 50 and Jesus answering said to him Simon I have something to say to you and he answered say it teacher a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table, notice there are more people there, then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
So Jesus compares Simon's treatment of him to that of the woman's. Simon did not give Jesus water for his feet. He did not wash his feet. And the fact that he didn't do these three acts of hospitality probably indicates to us that he had invited Jesus for a meal, but to interrogate him, to find out, okay, let's hear about these claims you are making, because he doesn't even offer him the most basic acts of kindness. So, Simon did not give Jesus water for his feet. The woman washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon did not greet Jesus with a kiss. The woman, from the time she entered, did not stop kissing his feet. Simon did not put oil on Jesus' head. The woman poured perfume on his feet. Now, why on his feet? rather than on his head, because it was an act of complete, abject humility and brokenness. She probably did not feel that she was worthy to move forward among these men and put oil on his head, so she remained like a servant at his feet and anointed his feet, washed his feet with her tears, and kissed them over and over again. Folks, two people are in the presence of Jesus, but only one worships. The woman understood that she had been forgiven of many sins, therefore she loved much. Again, don't miss it in verse 47, therefore I tell you her sins which are many are forgiven. Jesus doesn't minimize her sinfulness. She'd lived a rough life. That's probably what we would say today. She had lived a very rough life. Her act of worship was only a token of her deep love for Jesus. Simon, on the other hand, greets him with skepticism and with cynicism. Simon lived in a world of prideful arrogance. Pharisees were proud. They were very proud of their perceived righteousness. He may not have even thought he needed to be forgiven. So here is this woman who has been forgiven much and loves much. Here is this man who in his own eyes doesn't think he has much that needs forgiving. And so, and so, don't miss it, he loves little. Two people, two extremely different responses to the presence of Jesus in the room. Well, that brings us to our third point, a consuming focus on Jesus. And I want to bring this all together for us. What does this mean for us? I am a disciple of Jesus. You are a disciple of Jesus. What must we, what, mu what must we learn from this scene. Well, this sinful woman, now a child of God, is emotionally enthralled with Jesus. I specifically use the word enthralled. If you look up the word enthralled in the dictionary, it means to be spellbound. It means like somebody's cast a spell on you and you aren't thinking of anything else 
All you do are, are all you do is focus on one thing. It means to be captivated. And I think that describes her. She is enthralled. She is spellbound with Jesus. The woman was not concerned about what she got out of it. She was concerned with honoring and adoring her Savior. Think about that in your own worship this morning. It wasn't her concern what she was getting out of it. She wanted to worship and adore her Savior. She was concerned. She was concerned with what she could give to Jesus. So she worships, excuse me, worships Jesus because of who he is and what he has done. And so she comes into this home and she violates, and it's even hard for us to really grasp this, she violates all kinds of cultural taboos just by walking into this home and by letting her hair down, by touching Jesus, by touching this teacher, this minister among the Hebrew people, as were the Pharisees there. So she breaks all of these cultural taboos. But folks, she didn't do it because she was a rebel. She didn't come in there thinking, I'm going to show them. She didn't come into the home saying, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to do this my way. It wasn't like that at all. Had nothing to do with that. She does what she does because she's in love with her Savior. Okay, she does what she does. She breaks all of these cultural taboos because she is so in love with Jesus. Let me ask all of us this morning, are you emotionally enthralled with Jesus? Are you spellbound, captivated by him, what he's done for you? And who he is. How often do I stop or do you stop to meditate on what it really means to be born again, to be saved, to be a child of God? Do you come to church thinking, I deserve to be punished in hell forever? That would be justice. I justly deserve to be condemned, but I'm not going to be because Jesus has saved me by his grace, by his mercy, by his kindness. I am a child of God. I have been forgiven. I know for, for certain that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and it's all because of him. It's all because of him. And I just can't wait in my personal devotions or in my corporate worship, I just can't wait to come and thank him again and again and again. If I thanked him every minute of every day, it would not be enough for all he's done for me. She didn't just understand the gospel, she lived the gospel. It's one thing to talk about what the gospel is, it's another to live the effects of the gospel, to be absolutely broken by what it means to me. Let me ask you, do you love him like she loved him? Do you love Jesus like she loved him?
when we come to church, we have to be very careful. Here's what I fear, and this includes all of us, no one in the room excluded. When we come to church, we tend to come as evaluators and not worshipers. When we come to church, we tend to come as evaluators and not worshipers. Well, I wonder if I'm going to like the music this morning. I wonder if it's my kind of music. I wonder if it's the style of music that I like. I hope no one sits in my seat. I wonder about the temperature. I wonder if it's going to be too cool. I wonder if it's going to be too warm in the auditorium. I'm going to critique the pastor's sermon. I'm going to see if he really knows what he's talking about or if he's really bringing out what the text is saying. Folks, we've got to be careful. That's how we come to church sometimes, evaluating rather than worshiping. If someone asks you, what is worship? What is biblical worship? I would encourage you to open your Bible and take them to this scene. It is an excellent foundation for discussion on what is worship. We can come up with our definitions and they, there is a, a place for that. But if you were to ask me what is worship, I would say this is worship. When a woman with a sinful reputation will walk into the home of a strict Pharisee, where she is not welcome, where she will be mocked and scorned, weeps at the feet of Jesus, washes his feet with her tears and wipes them with her hair and kisses his feet over and over again and anoints them with oil because she is so grateful and so thankful for what Jesus has done for her. Folks, that's worship. That is what it means to worship the living God. That is what it means to worship Jesus. No wonder many consider this one of the greatest worship scenes in the entire Bible. She was humble and she was totally broken and repentant. She loved with a deep, emotional, consuming love. She came to love him and adore him and honor him. Her complete focus, her complete focus is Jesus. We're going to close in just a moment with the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. For my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. If that song had been written at the time that she was alive, I think this would be her song. I do. And I want you to sing this song as we close as a love song to Jesus out of a heart of deep gratefulness and thankfulness because you've been saved by Jesus. You've been forgiven by Jesus and you just want to express to him how much you love him. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be like this woman. She has stood for generations 
as an example of biblical, heartfelt, deep, emotional worship. Oh, oh, that we might be like her. Help us. Give us the grace to worship you from the depths of our being. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.